Well, good morning. Happy 2016. It's good to see you. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad you're with us this morning uh, as uh, we start a new year together uh, here at Christ Central. And I'm not sure if you've taken time to reflect on the last year, 2015, but uh, there are many things that I'm thankful for personally and uh, a host of things I'm extremely grateful for that God has done in the life of our church over the past year. But I don't know if you read the, the news or saw the news or heard it uh, this past week. Uh, yet again, uh, kind of racial tensions in our country brought to the forefront with the acquittal of the police officer uh, shooting the 12-year-old Tamir Rice in Cleveland. And I, I just again brought to the forefront the reality of pain and hurt uh, and injustice in our country. It's been a year really of unrest in regards to, to race and reconciliation. And, and we've talked about this. Uh, we, we try to talk about it as a church. We preach about it from the scriptures, uh, that God's heart is for all people, uh, a unified body across race, across class, across generations. We see, we've seen that in Ephesians over the last uh, few months. We preach through the book of Acts uh, in the fall, and we saw that unity across social barriers is at the heart of the gospel. It's not just a gospel implication. It's at the heart of the gospel. It is part of the salvation that Christ ushers in one body made of many colors, nationalities, personalities. And, and I could speak of uh, issues of injustice and talk about them, and we will preach about them when the scriptures speak into them but I just wanted to take a little bit of pastoral preacher privilege this morning as we enter into 2016 uh, and say, I know I, uh, and I would say the majority of us need to do way more listening than speaking in regards to this issue. We need to listen, church, to the voices of people who are crying out for justice here in our own country, but also around the world. We must realize that sin is individual, it deals with all of our hearts, but sin is also systemic and institutional, and we need to learn that. Uh, we've got to learn that any power that God has given to us needs to be used to love and to work on behalf of those who have no power, uh, for those who are on the margins, and to fight for justice uh, where there is injustice. We've got to value every person and uplift their dignity. We must seek to see Christ exalted in the heart and the mind of every person for the glory of God in this city and around the world. Uh, and so I just wanted to take a pastoral privilege, a side note, and mention that as we look into 2016, uh, and I thought uh, if you read the news, you saw the Tamir Rice uh, news and kind of what that caused in our country. Um, I just thought the week 2015 is ending, uh, and it's been a year of unrest, and I just wanted to take a point of privilege and speak into that, because uh, we're going to look at something different uh, this morning than Ephesians. We're going to look at 1 Samuel uh, together, uh, and it is a new, it's a new year, 2016. I don't know if you think and dream and wonder what the new year will be like. Uh, I don't know if you've made New Year's resolutions this year. Have any of you made New Year's resolutions? Uh, well, uh, some people are, are resolving to diet. Some want to eat more healthy. Some people are resolving to be more frugal or more generous with their money. Some are resolving to exercise more. Uh, honestly, I go in and out personally of making resolutions because I get too tired and guilty of not keeping my resolutions every year. Uh, and I do think we have to guard against slipping into the thought that we're the ones in control and we're the ones who have the power uh, in and of ourselves rather than trusting the Lord in this new year. Uh, but Rachel and I were with a few people here in the church on New Year's Eve, and the question 
uh, of New Year's resolutions was asked, Who are, who's keeping New Year's resolutions this year? And, and I said, well, I'd like to run a half marathon. Uh, I just got some new running shoes, and uh, I, I used to run more. I want to start running a little bit more. I want to train for another half marathon. I've run one. And so in 2016, I resolve to run. I resolve to run. And I, I would like to challenge each of you this morning in 2016 to resolve to run. Not in training for a marathon, <laughs> not, not in running a half marathon, but in the sense of running spiritually and emotionally. I'm going to ask you a question. When life gets hard, when your world is confusing, when you, you feel threatened or attacked, where do you run spiritually or emotionally? In other words, what do you turn to? The Avid Brothers, who, whom I love, sing a song where they sing, when you run, make sure you run to something and not away from. Run to something and not away from. There will be ups and downs in this new year. There will be good times and hard times. And I want to ask you this morning to resolve, not just to run away from your pain and your hurts and your fears that will come in 2016. Not to run away, not to numb yourself from spirituality and, emotion, and your emotional well-being. Don't run away, but make sure you run to something. We're going to look an episode in the life of King David this morning out of 1 Samuel 21 and 1 Samuel 22. But let me give you a quick context because we've been in Ephesians and we're going to start Ephesians back again next week. And so this morning we're looking at King David. And so let me give you context. David has been anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He then in the next chapter defeats Goliath, the giant. And then in chapters 18 to 20, uh, we see David's strong friendship with Jonathan. And throughout, Saul, who is the current king, is seeking the life of David. Six times he attempts to murder David, and now David is on the run. He's running away. David was for a moment in a sweet place, a comfortable place, <laughs> anointed king. He defeated the giant multitudes, singing his praise. But now David is threatened. He's scared. He's confused. He feels like his world is pushing in on him, and so David runs. He runs for his life. And so let's look at 1 Samuel together. If you're able, will you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning out of 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 through 9 and 1 Samuel 22 verses 1 to 2. And I'll go ahead and apologize. I've kind of got a cold. I've got a bottle of water up here, so if I start coughing, I may need to drink uh, some of this water. But this is God's Word to us this morning. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women... And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it's in an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. 
Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. And then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Chapter 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there, and there were with him about 400 men. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Well, let's pray. God, I ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, help us to hear from you, that you would remove me, the preacher, so that Christ is seen, that the Spirit would, would speak into our spirits wherever we are this morning. God, wherever we enter into 2016, if we are down, if we're discouraged, if we're afraid, if we're feeling good, uh, if we're joyful, Lord, meet us where we are this morning through your word, by your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord Jesus. To your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. David shows us that when we run, to make sure that we run to something, we need to run to something. Three things that David teaches us to run towards. The sanctuary, the cave, and community. The sanctuary, the cave, and community. Let's look first at the sanctuary. We see this in chapter 21, verses 1 to 9. David is on the run. He knows for certain that the, that the intent of King Saul is to murder him. There's a price on David's head. His life is threatened. And so David runs to Nob, where there's a sanctuary and a priest. And David arrives at Nob, desperate, He's running for his physical life. And as he enters the sanctuary, he realizes he needs more than just physical help. He needs help in maintaining a God-dominated imagination. He needs help in living out God's call on his life. And he finds that help in the sanctuary. Eugene Peterson says that a sanctuary is a place for paying attention to God. It is a place where the truth of God is preserved and honored. It's a place for remembering the events in which God has been clearly active and powerful. It is a place to stop and to behold and to remember who God is. And this is speaking of more than just a cathedral, the beauty of a cathedral or the beauty of a church building. It is a place where someone is immersed in holiness, a place where God is remembered and we remember he's not like us. He is other. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is gracious and loving and beautiful and magnificent and mighty. And there can be places or things that immerse us into holiness, that remind us who God is, that he is other. Things like a mountaintop or a sunset, a beach, a song, a poem, a painting, a garden, God is the creator of all these things, and he uses his creation to remind us who he is. Let me, let me give you a little bit of insight into, into my life. When life gets hard, 
Uh, when circumstances are pressing, when I feel emotionally stretched or like I feel like I'm being attacked, I tend to be a fighter. I muscle up, I man up, I press through, I just keep going. It's how I was conditioned my whole life. When life is hard, I run to my ability to push through whatever situation I find myself in. I fight. And what David is showing us here is that you are to run, I am to run instead to a place of beholding God and forgetting self, a place of beholding goodness, truth, and beauty. I used to meet with a local pastor. He was a pastor uh, in this area, uh, and he's no longer uh, a pastor in the area. He's in his mid-60s, and uh, I'd meet with him every two months or so. And in one of our first meetings, we were on a walk around Chapel Hill, and he asked me a very convicting question. Now, he said, Daniel, he, he, he was getting to know me and the way I was wired. And he said, Dan, Daniel, when was the last time that you were overwhelmed by beauty? And, and I was, honestly, I was stumped because I, I'm like, well, I can talk about beauty. I, I'll talk about it. And I definitely exposed myself to beauty. But the, the piercing thing was, when was the last time I allowed myself to be overwhelmed by beauty? When was the last time I sat long enough? and beheld beauty that I was overwhelmed by it. It was convicting because I'm like, I have a lot of work to do. (laughs) People to meet, sermons to prepare, groups to lead, vision to cast. I know life is busy. All of you have responsibilities. You have responsibilities at your job, responsibilities with your family or at school. And I would say many of you are probably similar to me. When life gets hard, When circumstances are pressing, you tend to be a fighter. You work harder. Students, you you study more. You run to your ability to cope. Let me just tell myself and to tell you, please don't live life like this. This is why I have counseled many, and I have been counseled by many, that many people just, and this is you, you need to stop. Some of you just need to stop doing some things this morning and in 2006. Resolve just to not do some things. Resolve just to say no to some things, even some good things that you're doing. Go take a painting class. Go to more music concerts. Go to places and to participate in things that cause you to stop and behold beauty, that make you forget yourself and behold God. I don't know if, if you were reading this story, the David, this episode, and, and you're like, David deceives Ahimelech. <laughs> what, David is a deceiver. What, what the heck? What's David doing here? And I think this is a good place to, to talk about the beauty of the Scriptures and of the Bible. See, most characters uh, in the Scripture, and David is this, is not a moral model to copy. I think the beauty of the Bible is that we find in the company of David Someone who does it as badly as or worse than we do, but who in the process doesn't quit and doesn't withdraw from God. David is not the ideal life, but he's an actual life. And aren't you thankful that we have actual lives within the pages of Scripture and not just moral models to copy, but broken people like we are? So David entered the sanctuary. He was hungry and he was defenseless. And while in the sanctuary, Ahimelech the priest gives David holy bread and then the sword of Goliath. David enters this holy place and is reoriented to who God is. He remembers his anointing that God had just poured out on him. He remembers he defeated the giant 
because of the power of God with him. He remembers God's provision of the friendship of Jonathan. And as he ate the bread and was girded with the sword, God was reminding David who he is and the promises of God to David. Mountains, sunsets, songs, poems, gardens. These are all beautiful places that God uses to remind us who he is. But there is one holy place that's like no other. And that is the sacred assembly of God's people on the Lord's day. The gathering of God's people, his church, on this day. So when life is hard and circumstances are difficult and we're emotionally stretched, don't withdraw from God. But lean in to the Lord. And the one place God promises to be present in a special way, one place where the good, the true, and the beautiful should be experienced is in the corporate worship of God's people, his church. You should come into church hungry like David. And we give you the bread and the wine, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You can come to this table and be reminded that the Christian life is not about your doing, it's about Christ's doing on your behalf. His body broken, his blood shed It is a place of reorientation and remembering God is faithful. You come into church and we enter defenseless like David. And we give you the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 that we'll get to later. As we're in Ephesians says that the sword for for battle for the Christians is the word of God. And so this church should and by the grace of God will teach, preach, and be faithful to the word of God. You should leave feeling more girded with the truth of God and armed for the battle that you'll face. Let me say this, and and I'm going to move on. Don't muscle up. Don't man up, woman up, fight harder when life gets difficult. Don't let life get so busy that you neglect stopping and beholding God. Take breaks. Say no. Go on long long walks. Go to the beach. Listen to music. And please, do not neglect the gathering of God's people on Sunday. How might you make Sunday morning worship a priority and not something you'll do if it's just convenient? Because what happens here is too important. It's too important. And I don't say that because I want to feel good about Christ Central Church. I say that because I care about your soul. This is the way the Lord feeds us and reorients us every week. David leaves the sanctuary reminded about God. But soon again, he's running. He's running for his life. C.S. Lewis says that the Christian life functions on the law of undulation. Times of emotional mountaintops and then times of deep valleys of doubt. David goes from being renewed in the sanctuary to verses later fleeing in the wilderness. And the next place that we see David is running in the wilderness to the cave at Adullam. The second place I want to charge you to to resolve to run to in 2016 is to the cave. Look at 22 verses 1 to 2. We see David in this dark, dank, nasty cave. Now, don't glorify this cave. This is not like a palatial cave. He is in an actual dark, nasty cave. And God had promised to David, you're going to be king. And now he's a fugitive abandoned. No wife, 
no job, no friends. David is not looking very much like a king here, is he? And I'm sure that David is asking in this moment, in this cave, is God good? Is God for me? Is God present? I don't know if you've ever spent time in a cave, not an actual cave, but an emotionally dark, I'm on my face in fear kind of a cave where you wonder, why am I here? And what is God doing? And is God for me? I'd venture to say some of you here this morning might be in a cave. Here's the truth. We're not good at caves. We're not good at being in darkness. Many Christians have what Chuck DeGroat calls a Kleenex theology versus a theology of the cave. We don't like to suffer. We, we want to wipe our tears with Kleenex that's scented with, with aloe, right? That's our theology versus learning that suffering is actually a requirement for Christians in the kingdom of God. One pastor said that David didn't choose the cave. It wasn't an elective. It was required curriculum. See, Scripture is very clear. Suffering is a requirement for maturing and deepening in the Christian life. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days. Actually, it says the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness. God will drive us into the wilderness and the cave as well. There will be times in your life when God's presence is not felt. And you will wonder, why is God doing this? It will feel like God withdraws from you and you will question, why God? Are you not making your presence more obvious? God is taking you deeper into what faith in Him really is. Listen, church, the possibility of saying no to God makes the yes of faith more real. The possibility of saying no to God makes the yes of faith more real. When we're not in the cave, it's easy to believe. But when we doubt, and when we question, and when we have pain, and we still believe, our faith is strengthened. And we love God for who He is, not for what He gives. Eugene Peterson again says that the cave is a bad place, but leads to a good place. It is the dictionary where David learned the meaning of the word refuge. The church in America is fairly weak because we would rather have a Kleenex theology than a cave theology. We just don't know how to suffer well. We don't like leaning into the darkness. We'd rather flee. I am putting myself there with all of you. We would rather be coddled than bear the cross. But suffering is a requirement for the Christian. It is in the dark places and remaining in the darkness where we love God for who He is and not for what He gives. And we learn to trust Him as our refuge and not trust in our circumstances. It's in the cave where one gains a knowledge of need. So resolve to run to the sanctuary and be reoriented and run to the cave and remain in the darkness. Lastly, we see David runs to, uh, to community in the midst of the cave. This is the last thing. He runs to community. Look at verse 2 of chapter 22. 
when difficulty and pain comes into our life, if you're like me, I want to be left alone. We want to hide from people. We want to pretend like life's okay. I just want to be left alone. But David here finds himself surrounded by people. And who was in the cave with David? The text tells us family, friends, those in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul. That's a different kind of community, (laughs) isn't it? That's not a put-together, cleaned-up, combed hair, shiny shoes, new dress type of a community. This is a ragtag group of misfits that are dissatisfied with King Saul, and they're now gathering around a different and new king. This, my friends, is the church. This is a healthy church, let me say. Seminary, one of my professors made us go to an AA meeting uh, while in seminary and and to write a paper comparing AA versus the church. I've I've gone to some AA meetings since being here with with some of you, Uh, but this is an, an excerpt from my paper that I wrote in seminary 10 years ago. Jim, a heavyset guy, stood up while smoking a cigarette and said that the topic should be the first step of the 12 steps since there were many new faces in attendance. I was there. Again, welcoming to the new person. The first step of AA, he said, is to realize you're powerless to overcome the addiction by yourself. And then everyone shared their story of powerlessness, never pressuring us to share our story. And we closed the meeting by circling holding hands, saying the Lord's Prayer, and then repeated, come back, come back, come back. And I left that and I said, is that not how the church should look? A gathering of people who are welcoming, that all confess we have a problem. Community of believers in Jesus is not a community that tries to theologize pain away, but it's a community that can enter into the pain of one another. I'm afraid we as Christians in a community of Christians tend to be more like Job's friends in the Old Testament book of Job. We interpret one another's pain rather than engage with one another's pain. Henry Nouwen said we tend to be healed wounders when we need to be wounded healers. We should all realize and confess we're the ones in distress. We're the ones in debt. We're the ones dissatisfied. The community of Christians should be the safest place to doubt and be in distress. We should be the ones willing to share our stories of powerlessness and calling each other to come back, come back, come back. And just like it's easy to believe in God when we're not in the cave, it is easy to live in a community with the devout. But what about living in a community with the undevout, with the struggling and the cave dweller? We're only being a true Christian community when we live together as cave dwellers, living, confessing together, I have a problem. Jesus came and lived among the prostitute, the sinner, the leper, the poor, the dissatisfied, those who had a problem gathered around Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of Christian I've been in Christian subculture long enough. I'm tired of Christian communities and churches always putting off the ethos of togetherness. Always putting off the ethos of passionate, devout, always trusting, always happy. 
What if we could live in a community where, where people can come in and feel the freedom to be honest? If you're sad, be sad. If you're discouraged, say you're discouraged. You're welcome because we, we all are in those times. If you feel joy, raise your hands and worship. If you don't agree with what we're praying or singing, don't feel the pressure to sing or say it. What if Christ Central Church was a ragtag group of misfits dissatisfied with the kingdom of this world, a group of people that runs to a place of reorientation and to holiness, cave dwellers that remain in the cave and mature in our faith, a confessing community that gathers around a different kind of king. For Jesus is king. He's the captain over us. He's the one that we gather around. And where did Jesus go when times got hard? When Jesus was emotionally stretched? He did not withdraw from his father, but withdrew from the world and into his father's presence. Jesus would often go to places where he could behold his father and be reminded of the father's promises. Jesus at the Last Supper instituted a meal of remembrance. He took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. This meal that we partake every week is a meal of reorientation. And shortly after the Last Supper, Jesus would rise and he'd run to a cross. Not to a place of comfort, but to a place of suffering. And then he would be buried in a cave. Our king was a cave dweller. And he came out of the cave triumphant. And he now reigns as king over all. And he offers an invitation. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, all who know you have a problem, and I will meet you where you are. When you run, make sure you run to something. Not away from, run to Jesus. He is our holy king that reorients us. He is our cave-dwelling king that understands that the way up is down, that the way of maturity and triumph is through suffering. And he is our king that gathers around himself the broken, the bruised, the tired, the dissatisfied. In 2016, may we resolve to run to Jesus and let him lead us day by day. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would do in my heart what I just preached and do in this church what you have shown yourself to do in the life of King David. Would your spirit work and would you make us a people who cling tightly to the Lord Jesus, gathering around the King who understands all that we go through and the one who leads us triumphantly because of what He has accomplished on our behalf. And as we come to this table, Lord, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate, celebrate triumph. We celebrate what Jesus has done. We, we celebrate that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so we partake. And we ask you to renew us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.